So I, uh, Dan, you, you kind of bring up this more personal because I think ultimately you, you need to take the, these huge ideas and somehow make them relevant to your own lived experience, right? The, it's one thing to be able to have these things, but how do I, how do I live this, this reality into reality, right? And how does this even change me? Um, and, you know, you talk about uh, salvation or uh, healing as being something, you know, that we, we have to like, uh, you know, it's based on like our moral purity uh, versus something yep. that is innately inside of us, right? Um, so why, why is it important to have an understanding of holiness that is ontological instead of something that we, we yeah. accrue through moral purity? Um, and Abby, actually, if you want, do you have any thoughts on this? Cause I want to get you talking, uh, before you have to jump off. Yeah. I mean, I think that goes back to what we've already talked about. I feel bad. I keep saying, that. Oh, okay. but, but at the yeah. same time, I think it also, all connected. you know, it's all interconnected. Right. <laughs> um, but this idea of kind of exploring things through our own process of thought, as opposed to simply going off of these hard lines of black and white that we draw, right. And being able to build from our own understanding will, will create a stronger foundation underneath us to begin with, but also help us experience, um, and, and reach those kind of faith experiences, um, on our own, more easily than it would by simply saying this is right and this is wrong, but why is this right? You know, addressing that principle of the matter um, and developing it from kind of a ground zero with obviously with the foundation of the doctrine of our, of our gospel, but also just understanding holiness, not from a standpoint of given ideas, but rather this more developmental process. Yeah. Good. It reminds me of a principle from Aristotle. He called it entelechy. And F is, so N means N. And then the telos is what you, the teleology and all that stuff is like the end of the, the end times, what it means. And so the end within us. And so um, it's the idea that, for instance, this is bristlecone, that within each bristlecone seed or whatever it is that fertilizes, it has the absolute potential to grow into the most beautiful and magnificent self that's in it. You know, so the, the end within the, the, the seed is this full flourishing. And, and everything sort of has its entelechy. And I love Mormonism for the, the whole um, eternal progression thing. But again, that seems like it, that's, what, see, both the plan of salvation and I guess the plan of having this a little bit better, but the plan of salvation and talking about eternal progression makes it almost like, well, plan of salvation makes it feel more external. And uh, the, um, what did I say the other one was? Oh, the plan, so the plan of salvation and what was my other word? Guys, I'm getting old. <laughs> Okay. Eternal, eternal, okay, and eternal progression feels more like it's a, uh, and it's, you know, it's like, I am progressing along the path, you know, kind of, and it's a right. higher, lower, you know, kind of It's kind hierarchical. Of yeah, but the fundamental key is that we are the divine, the divine, you know, that spark, that, that core of us that inhabits our bodies, um, you know, knows what it is because it's unencumbered by the things that, that do it. And so the idea with an entelechy of us and the entelechy of the, any seed or whatever is that 
within us is the ability to fully flourish, but it is also dependent in some ways on the conditions around us. And, you know, what are the obstacles? And, you know, the, the seed, is the seed in good soil or, or, you know, sandy soil or all those kinds of things. And then, you know, there's that whole business of, you know, planting the seed. Does it feel right? Does it feel good? Is that a good seed? It's not like, is this a true seed? You know, we're doing in Alma 32 <laughs> there, but it's a good seed because we feel it swelling. You know, there's something in us that recognizes that. And so through whatever our life circumstances are, that will always recognize, like light cleaves to life, you know, like, like finds like, all those things. Um, I can't even remember what the, all those little things in the DNC are when, when it gets to that, but I guess I wanted to kind of get where you're, what I thought you were doing there through this idea of, of IntelliKey. And um, I don't remember exactly the angle you were taking there, oh, Abigail. Do, do, yeah, do you remember uh, how, what may have, may have made me think that in what you were saying? <laughs> I'm pathetic, Karen. Oh no, we're all losing it. <laughs> <laughs> was it something in like original goodness or something? Yeah, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah stemming from yeah. Yeah. yeah that. Yeah, the idea of the original blessing or the original goodness of everything. Yeah. So I don't know. That was probably a sidebar that maybe you can cut out. No, but. no. I think um, like uh, so if I'm you know beyond just like earth stewardship and that kind of stuff, I think personally. I have, and I know within our, you know, Mormon community and the human community on a whole, feeling our own worthiness, our own, our own self belonging, right? Do, can we belong to ourselves even? I think that's, that's a huge problem, right? The beyond right. our connection to, to each other and to the earth, mm -hmm. our connection to our own self is been damaged on some level. Um, and so I, this, this, uh, this understanding of, of holiness as ontology and by ontology, I mean of the makeup that I am, right. It's just something yeah. that's inherent within inside, inside of me versus something that accrues on me or that I can somehow earn with my, earn. you know, my, my monetary transactions of obedience or moral goodness mm. somehow, but mm. that no matter what I do in life, I'm somehow ontologically holy. And if I can somehow connect to that reality that changes the way that I interact with myself and it helps me relax about the whole, you know, I know Richard Rohr is a fan of the personal salvation project. Right. Um, and I know we've, I think I've, I've brought it up on a couple episodes before, but if you can just relax and let go of that project, it just, your whole spirituality, your whole spiritual practice lights yeah. up all of a sudden. And so I, I, I definitely want to call out, um, that, you know, if we can somehow connect to our own individual um, uh, inherent ingrained holiness um, apart from anything that we could possibly do to harm or aid that, that, that can transform us. So I think that was kind of the angle that I, that I was going on. I also think just been thinking more about, you know, the specificity to our personal theology or, or perhaps, you know, the larger theology of, of Mormonism. Um, just even that we don't, you know, like, like creation ex nihilo, you know, that, that we're not just creating something from nothing, um, that all matter on earth 
um, and, and you know, our, our belief in the creation story, you know, that, that certain elements of the earth were produced first and then man was made and that man was made literally from the dust of the earth. So we are both, you know, parts of, of the earth. We are part human and we are part divine that all of these things kind of come together to create the cohesive self, but that all of them are, you know, very inherently connected to our metaphysicality and, and that all of these elements, you know, should inherently connect us to God, to the earth, to other beings. Right. I just think it's a really powerful synthesis in our own theology that we understand that all of these different elements are creating us. Right. And especially if we, you know, we borrow from that, the first moment in Genesis that, you know, God said after every day, it's good, 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 very yeah. good. And that, that we haven't lost that. I think that that's, that's something that's core to Mormon theology is that Adam and Eve, I don't even didn't, or Adam and Eve didn't, didn't wreck that original goodness. Yeah. They just moved forward. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, um, I think that if we can have a grounding in God is already proclaimed all of this, the thing that you yourself are a part of the network, you know, the, the quote, the, the Indra's net that your own body is a part of as very good. And you're a jewel. Yeah. You're <laughs> just, the net. yeah. So, yeah the, different than all others. Yeah. Unique. But that if, yes, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I've, I've encountered too many people and I myself, have had tremendous issues growing up with self-worth and self self-esteem or not just self-esteem, but just my own standing before God has always been, Oh my gosh, I'm so worried. I have so much anxiety about it. But when I finally connected to, Oh, God already said that everything's very, very good. In fact, maybe I don't have to worry so much and that my own goodness is something that can just naturally happen rather than me trying to over-engineer it or, or force it. Yeah. Dan, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, uh, the, it's all playing in that area of, like you say, if you, if you know that in a certain way, then repentance doesn't mean like groveling, you know, and begging and all that stuff. Repentance is like, show me, <laughs> show me the better way. You know, you're, you're like, you're saying I, th- what I'm doing isn't working. I'm hurting people around me. I'm whatever it would be. I'm hurting myself. Show me more. And that would that's what repentance can be because it's it's the whole life is educative rather than, you know, a trial. It's just it's just like education. you know, we're, we're talking about all these experiences. Um, and I think honestly, it might dovetail really nicely into, uh, you know, the universe of sacraments that all things are sacraments. So how, what, what can we do to experience the sacramental nature of the universe? And like by, by sacrament, I want to expand the notion of sacrament beyond just our ordinance on Sunday, right? That, that if, if the ordinance itself, you know, if we were just to look at the ordinance, it's, is it's uh, these these boys saying a blessing over the most mundane and ordinary aspects of reality, bread and water, and somehow. But the it, most essential. Yeah, yeah, the most essential. They're, they're the most, common. The most mundane, also, common, yeah, but also essential. Yeah. And somehow, mm-hmm. their blessing enchants this material um, that somehow then, as we consume it, enchants us. Right. It's a way of 
of kind of transforming our eyes as, you know, if we, if we look at the sacrament as a metaphor to that anything in the universe can act as sacrament for us. If it, if it helps occasion this, this reality, right. That the ordinance of the sacrament is a way that each week we can get on the tracks, so to speak. Right. Um, but it's also a way to understand that the entire world can be the tracks if you have the eyes for it. So I think that that's a good way to transition into how can we partake of the universal sacrament? (laughs) How can we increase our chances of being hit by the train? (laughs) I think we've talked a lot about sitting back and allowing, you know, things to happen. Um, but I'm thinking a lot about, you know, I'm coming off a semester of talking about Kierkegaard for (laughs) too long, but Kierkegaard, obviously Christian existentialist was very concerned with this idea of faith. Um, and, and one of which, you know, is, is this idea of the faith movement that you can't expect that, you know, in order to create yourself, um, that God will simply do all of it for you. And and similarly to what we've been talking about, that you cannot do it entirely for yourself, that you have to find this delicate dialectical balance between those two aspects and allow it to kind of cohesively come together. Um, and I think the faith movement that he talks about um, and these ideas of, of putting oneself forward um, and actually taking action, not letting it be a passive um, situation and letting life simply happen to you without making, you know, these critical decisions of how to become better and what can I do to become better. Um, and, and like you said, Dan, you know, allowing the sacrament to give us this opportunity to ask God um, you know, how do I learn to be better? I think that's really at the core of this idea of the faith movement, physically and and kind of spiritually taking these steps forward to really try and understand what God wants from us, as opposed to sitting back and allowing them to, yes, wash over us, but also um, participating in in that kind of washing over. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I, I studied Kierkegaard too, and I—I uh, I really uh, I hadn't remembered that. I have, you know, my two or three things that most <laughs> struck me that I could I could recall and maybe do a paragraph on. But that was beautiful and a great reminder. Now, the thing I wanted to fight back a little bit on Madison was the description of somehow these bread and water magically transform into something sacred right. holy and there so that, Please, that's find me on it. <laughs> well no I, i'm just saying i don't really think that's the mormon understanding even though oh, a I lot mean, yeah. of a lot of us when we're growing up we don't know what we're thinking and we're kind of into um you know, literalism or, or something right. like I mean, that. I, I didn't mean to, to, to put it off as no. if like the Catholic, no. the Catholic sense right. of like transubstantiation. Right. Um, right. but it's you know, more of a, more of a, a tool to help train our eyes to see the sacramental nature of all things already. Right. In existence. Okay, good. So the focus that you put on the bread and the water as the, the, the very most necessary thing of life is, is where, where we need to do on that. Now, there's lots of uh, spiritual practices, but the one that I think we're getting at here in terms of having a sacramental view of everything in the world, I, would, I wouldn't start if someone's going to start, you know, sort of a 
of practice. I wouldn't really start with plain old meditation, um, you know, whether it's mantra meditation or, or even centering prayer. I would start with mindfulness. And do you guys all have a sense of that mindfulness and what right. its core thing is? That, that in everything you're doing, you are trying to be in the present moment. You know, and, and ultimately, you know, after trying, 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 you can get there. There's no past, there's no future, but you're just in the moment and you're mindful of everything, you know, from the birds, the, you know, the, the grass growing, whatever. And, uh, you know, like there's the famous examples of, you know, you're doing the dishes. All of a sudden you're mindful of how the soap feels against your skin and all that. Yeah, because we're always we're always in our story and all those things. And a story, you know, kind of has structure and it's going yeah. somewhere. And it's just so important to to step and do it. And so for someone who is trying to get a taste, who's never had a taste of of it so that it was so delicious that, you know, it's the most real thing, you know. There's except no substitute kind of thing. I think mindfulness is probably the easiest access point. Now, ultimately, with the, the contemplative prayer, the, um, the just regular mantra meditation or other forms of meditation and yoga and things like this, they all have that at the core to live in the eternal now, you know, to, to be centered in the eternal now. But when we're talking sacramental and the natural world and all that stuff, I would start there. And, you know, a million things online that would just teach you some basic tricks and whatnot. And it's like any, it's like any meditation when thoughts that aren't in the moment, you know, kind of hit you. You just softly, you know, acknowledge and try to come back to whatever it is you're doing right then. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've never been hit with a mystical experience when I was trying to have one. You know, yeah. right? It's, it's <laughs> Unfortunately, like, it's like, yeah, it's like the bluebird of happiness. You know, happens just to land on your shoulder when you're not really seeking it. You know, or you're chasing the butterfly or whatever. You know, and all of a sudden it'll settle on you and things. And so there are these. There's all there are. There is this work and this discipline and whatnot. But it's discipline to take us out of our rational. You know thinking minds, our monkey mind with a million thoughts a, a second, you know, minute and all that stuff, and to get us to that core place. And and that's how our core experiences everything is this beautiful now. And, you know, you can play into what eternal life and eternity is and all that stuff without, you know, it's a more fundamental thing than just endless time. Right. You, know, you can you can kind of get into that experientially, but otherwise it's hard, it's hard, hard to do. So I would start with that. Was there what, what on sacramental that would that miss? Um, no, I think that's actually like exactly what I was uh, kind of thinking of is that I remember, I remember I was taking a class from George Handley. I don't know if Abby, you were in this class, um, but it was, uh, we were reading um, learning to like life by uh, George Handley, where he was talking about his experiences uh, growing up uh, on the Benyon Boys Ranch, the little Benyon Boys Ranch. Um, and he, uh, I remember in the class, we were reading the book and we were discussing this one chapter. And uh, the he talks in the chapter about how every meal can be made into a sacrament if you honor the sacrifices that went into it, you know, the, the, the yeah. life that, that, was, that was taken. And if you can honor the, the violence that was done to the world, that every mm -hmm. meal can be made into a sacrament. And I remember that just yep. blew my brain apart <laughs> um, because all of a sudden I was able to 
um, take this notion that I had, you know, this traditional Sunday notion of sacrament and apply it to everything in the world. Right. And it was kind of in the, in the section, I think section 91 of the doctrine of covenants, um, is when Joseph Smith is asking God if he should translate the Apocrypha. Um, and, and God's response is, uh, you don't have to translate it, but if you have the eyes to see, there's actually a lot of good stuff in here. Right. And I love, as a metaphor, I love I, that. That's kind of a way that I've been understanding the sacramental nature of the universe, that if I have the eyes to see it and the heart to experience it, anything can act as sacrament to me, right? It can act as in, as you know, I know that like on Sunday is the official quote unquote sacrament, right? But that, you know, if we're talking a lowercase s sacrament, um, that, you know, even, uh, like the meals that you eat, just the normal dinner that you have can be sacramental to you or, you know, the feeling of grass in your toes <laughs> can be sacramental or, you know, swimming or what we, whatever it is, but that the universe, the physical material of the universe can be the medium by which we experience the divine. And I just, I think that is like a central Mormon idea. Mm-hmm. It's a central, like, I just, that is such good spirituality to me mm-hmm. that it just feels, <laughs> I feel it in my heart. It feels good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Abigail, do you want to jump on that before I do? Yeah, I, well, I don't want to jump on it before you necessarily. But. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk all damn day. Well, <laughs> I got to go. I got to quit damning. Oh, I've, 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 I've done I mean, my I fair do, share. I do worse on my own. But like, I've done my come? fair share of dams on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I'm just thinking back to what you were talking about, Dan, and then obviously what Madison was saying with this idea of kind of the everyday sacrament. And it's interesting that you brought up yoga Um or, you know, kind of mentioned it in passing and saying maybe we don't quite need to get to yoga. But I've just been thinking I, I recently finished, um, well, not recently, I guess it was over the summer, but the the body keeps the score. Um, and of course, that book is talking about, you know, healing from trauma and, and the bodily reconnection um, to your kind of spirit through um through recentering it either through meditation or there are some other techniques, but one of which they talk heavily about is, is yoga. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a yogi, but I, I do kind of believe in this power of, of exercising both body and mind, um, into this kind of recentering and regrounding, um, to both body and earth and spirit. Um, and by doing so, and I think mindfulness is obviously a large part of that, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's again, one of those accessible ways in which people can kind of, um, once again, uh, gain that intuitiveness through their body and, and spirit in kind of the meeting of the two. Um, and I just think it's a really powerful way of kind of, again, making yourself be part of that moment, um, very much present in the moment as opposed to, um, thinking about, you know, things beyond that particular, uh, present. Um, but also, you know, kind of making that time that you've set aside in order to do it, a a sacrament in and of itself that, you know, okay, if I, if I choose to do yoga or mindfulness for 10 minutes, that that 10 minutes is, is this dedicated time um, and kind of sacramental time where I get to focus on the spiritual, where I get to focus on my bodily connection to the earth and kind of reground it, recenter it. 
Mm, gorgeous. And there's an element in yoga too that is also in all the other meditative things, and that is to the focus on the breath. Yeah. You know, and, and you know how how to how to breathe into every part of your body, you know, to where it's just like, well, it's in my lungs here, but no, you can, you can breathe and have it, you know, you can just feel it. And, you know, there's Kundalini energies and, you know, the chakras and all that. And you don't need to get into that, but there, I, I, you know, there's sometimes I will do sort of a, a a Hindu based, um, you know, meditation where I can bring the energy from the base of my spine you know, up there. I mean, it's again, I can't force it, but I can draw my attention to it and then it comes, Right. you know, stuff. But I really, I, I love what you just said. In fact, I had a very good friend who's, you know, friends of mine, but he's like, I've never had a spiritual experience. I've never, you know, he's a, just a skeptic, you know, kind of guy. And he started doing yoga and about three months into it, he goes, all of a sudden I'm feeling spiritual. <laughs> you know what's what's going on here yeah. you know it's like this, this isn't explainable <laughs> well it's interesting that you say that because kind of my other faith experience and and spiritual experience that first came to mind too was when I was 18 I went to India um obviously doing humanitarian and that's a whole another thing in and of itself um but you know, one of the the things that we did um, was in this rural village. They took us into their temple and and led us through meditative yoga um, and very traditional kind of um, yoga. I'm not familiar with the terms. I wish I was, and I I wish I participated in it more because this was one of the most spiritual experiences I have ever had in my life. And here I was laying on a marble floor in dirt. You know, I had no <laughs> yoga mat. There there wasn't anyone necessarily leading it um, in this kind of uh, artificial spirituality. They were simply just leading this, this yoga. And, um, you know, I just was laying on the ground and having this extremely spiritual experience. Um that I had never had before. And so, I mean, again, you know, I wish I was a yogi because I wholeheartedly believe in it. Um, but yeah, I do think like that again, is just another accessible way for us to kind of get in tune with that spirituality, especially if we aren't familiar with bringing it upon ourselves, you know, and like you said, Dan, that we're not able to, to will ourselves into having those experiences, but that we can kind of invite them or put ourselves in the mm-hmm. position yeah. to have them. Yeah. And in some moment when you just aren't, when your brain isn't going so hard, yeah. it, it just might hit you. Yeah. yeah. So that's beautiful. I think what I really love about all of this is that it, it, um, it, you know, forgive the language, but it, it democratizes the experience of spirituality, right? It, Mm -hmm. it, you know, I, not to push, you know, to our, we exist in a very hierarchical tradition, right? Where we've got the priesthood and we've got our different class, you know, different callings and stuff. Um, but fundamentally the most important experiences that we can have with the divine in this reality are ones that you can have just by being a human being just by paying attention. And then that's not something that you can earn through a, your obedience, like we've already said, but it's also not something you can earn through having a a special calling or having, you know, the special, you know, the special priesthood or something. Um, not that those things aren't useful in their own way. Um, but that, that the most profound experiences we can have with God 
anyone can have at any time mm. on anywhere on earth. Right. Totally, and it doesn't, totally. regardless of tradition. And I, I love that idea because it, when I think of a loving God who created all things and said, all things are very good. I think that God would want to make, make himself or God's self is, 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 uh, as readily experienceable as possible. Yeah. You know, and whatever the divine message is, it cannot come in words. It can't come in statements. You know, any of those things, you know, it's, it has to be accessible to all of life, to align, to connect, to experience joy at, at all the different levels. That's, that's just to me, you know, when we think that, oh, we better think the right way, you know, and, and all this, and your God is not the real God, therefore you're you're a loser. Um, you know, it's like, are you seriously, you know, saying that? And when I, when I see people do that, I, I just have to say, they have never had an experience of God. They know about God. They talk about God. They, they make claims about God, but they, they haven't had the experience of God. It's but a head once, trip. You, once you do, yeah. There was a couple of things that came up for me, Madison, when you're talking about the meal and everything like that. Um, I know it's been out for a while because I, I used it in my dissertation, but uh, there's a book called Deep Ecology. I don't know Ooh, if you ever heard of it. I, I, I think Duval, it's on Duval my and yeah. somebody. Yeah. yeah. It's on my shelf. So, and in, in the, there's some really beautiful language in there. So first of all, I, I think uh, they, they quote a Buddhist poem uh, that or a, a Buddhist prayer, which is, we're thankful for this meal, the work of many hands and the sharing of other forms of life. You know, just to sort of get you into that interconnected. And what is it? There, somebody did a study in approximately 70 different hands, you know, for getting your food from the right. earth, you yeah. know, onto your table and, and various things like that. That's the average, you know, if you consider all the truckers and the this and, you know, all that stuff. And so that, that's a beautiful thing there. And then when it comes to the, um, the animals or even the vegetables, you know, they had their own they had their own plan, you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, Gary, Gary Snyder, again, who I, I was talking about, um, um, you know, some of the other things of him and how I was using that uh, hungry, thirsty, you know, kind of stuff. Um, he has a, he has a poem that's in that Duval and Duval book, uh, Deep Ecology. That's like, it just talks about when we're eating you know, we're eating the, I, I just remember the last line is, we're eating the swish of a lamb's tail. Ooh. You know, it's like we realize that everything has its own purposes, its own desires, et cetera, to grow and, and to be whatever it is. But then there's other places where he sort of allows like each form of life calls for those that eat it calls for the bear, you know, like the salmon swimming upstream kind of brings into existence the bear, you know, to, to, to do its thing. And, 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 and so it's like this beautiful thing. And so the ultimate world, the word that I want, the, the phrase I wanted to get to with all that is he talks about, we can move our perspective and our experience from enmity with the natural world to intimacy. Oh. So, <laughs> it feels good. So to, to, like when you say, think about what you're eating and all, all the different things and whatnot. That's the most intimate thing because you are literally taking something in you. Yeah. 
and uh, and if we can be present with that through mindfulness and all these other things, um, you know. And so Mormons, we all have we all know the word enmity for a particular reason, <laughs> but but uh, you know the. I, I just loved it. So all that was kind of in that deep ecology book, at least my memory was. Yeah. So it but. reminds me too of, of Norse Norman Wersba food and faith yes. where he talks about that, that idea of kind of eternal communion um, and, and building love essentially by eating these, these earthly um, creatures and, and that, you know, God has given us these as gifts um, and that, you know, their purposes of life and, um, you know, should not be taken in vain, you know, by us eating them, that instead it should be this kind of recognition of, of God's eternal love for us, um, as we partake in them. Yeah. It's not just, it's not just meals. I mean, trust me, I could go all day about food because I love food. Um, but it's even like, you know, in our own breath can knit us together with the trees that create the oxygen that we breathe. Right. Beautiful. Um, and that, that every waking aspect of our, of our experience, if we become mindful of it can help, uh, help knit us together with something else. It can help at one us with something. Um, you know, anyways, I could, I could go on and on and on because <laughs> oh. it's my favorite. It's, uh, it's the deepest, most powerful thing. You know, but you don't don't kick yourself if you're not always in that, yeah. you know, and stuff. You know, there's things that we need the front half of our brain, you know, <laughs> to do and stuff. But, you know, if you want to have that the sacred time, you know, you separate yourself from the normal flow of time. You're you've dedicated this period and then you rejoin the world. But it's because of that. It's called the liminal period, you know, in a ritual because of the liminality you carry you carry that in and it informs and enlightens and, and, you know, blesses the rest of your life. Right. Um, so uh, definitely take those times. And again, um, you know, you just can't tell somebody to relax, no. <laughs> relax, relax and you'll get it, <laughs> you know, but uh, you just, you just hope that they, you know, maybe it's, they're taking it in through their heads and through language but if it's if it's percolating around there, I, I even think that's enough that sometimes you won't be looking, you won't be thinking, yeah. And, and then you can kind of experience it. You know, William James talks about spiritual, you know, experiences having four qualities. You know, um, first it's uh, oh god, I, INTP. Okay, first they're ineffable, meaning there's no way that words can touch it. You know. The next is they have some sort of noetic quality, meaning somehow information or insight is there, but it's not presented linearly and stuff. You just sort of ingest the knowing and the sense of things. And then it's um, temporary or transient. You know, it it comes and it goes, you know, like there's a famous one by uh Blaise Pastel, from such and such a time to such and such a time on this date, you know, in this state, you know, this is what my experience was. And then he just talks about fire and being overcome with this and everything just did it. And then the final one is that, again, you're passive. It is taking you. And so having these ideas in you, 
that I, because I've talked myself out of, I don't think my wowie zowies, <laughs> but I've, t- I've talked myself out of, I don't have time to feel this connected to all things. Damn it. <laughs> I've got a deadline. You know, I'm a magazine editor yeah. and I just don't have time for, for this, even though you know that it would bless your life and you'd yeah. be more efficient and enlightened and all that stuff. But I think if, if you're at least accept these as possibilities, it's more likely that you would relax into something like that just when you're not paying attention it, and trying. I wonder too, something else that you brought up, you know, this idea of thinking and, and thinking logically, but maybe that that kind of inhibits our ability to, to think spiritually or, or to feel um, and to feel those emotions, I guess. Um, and I mean, I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but just the idea of maybe like we need to do less logical thinking, right? That, that we get so caught up, like you said, talking ourselves out of these, these things and, um, kind of putting on the brakes when we, uh, feel ourselves moving towards them, but maybe like being able to surrender to these emotional opportunities and, and spiritual opportunities as opposed to thinking so much. I don't know. I feel like that's maybe our generation's issue is that we think too much. We think about literally everything. Right. And, and we think it into the ground until there's no life left in it. And I think spiritual opportunities are thinking about things emotionally and spiritually or feeling things so afraid of feeling things, right? So afraid of feeling things. But, but that could be the yeah. life breath of those those thoughts, right? And mm-hmm. and quite literally breathing life back into these ideas of of spirituality and and emotions and feelings that we haven't had the opportunity to feel. I'm personally very guilty of over-intellectualizing my faith when I was a teenager. It was very much, it was a head trip, right? It was, I, I was obsessed with Mormonism because it was kind of like Lord of the Rings for me, right? It was this huge mythos that I could find myself in, right? Um, and I, I super over-intellectualized it. But I think what we're after here is a more holistic approach to our membership in not just the church, but our, 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 our identities as human beings, that it's not just our minds, but it's how can we, how can we live this in our bodies? How can I live this with my mm. heart? And how can I, how can I live this with my spirit that how can I, as a whole, as a, in a wholeness, how can I live into this reality? Mm, beautiful. Yeah, you know, going back to you, Abigail, a little bit. You know, we we're rational. We're you know thinking. We're logical, and like the worst thing that we could ever imagine is being called irrational, mm-hmm. right? You know, because that's that's a a sin. But it helped me just to change that to non-rational. In other words, there's things you can know, but they don't come through the work of your brain. They come in. They come in some other way. You know, the five senses don't bring this knowledge to you. You know, um, you know, puzzling it out doesn't bring it. Eventually, it's this non-rational processes. And again, there's that part of us that's already connected, already knows the unity. Right. It's kind of that bridging of the sophic versus the mantic, right? And being mm, able to feel gorgeous, with yeah. our heart and think with our mind and not having them contradict one another. Or if they do contradict, being able to 
perhaps make sense of them or, or allow them or to coexist. Exist with the paradox. Yeah. yeah. Allow them to coexist without having to collapse right. it into anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, good um, stuff, guys. I could, I could keep talking. I, I want to be mindful of uh, the time and I could, I could just, I could talk about this stuff forever. Um, so Dan, uh, any final thoughts on your end? Hmm. No, I think I shot most of the arrows from my quiver, at least <laughs> coming into, you know, seeing what you talked about. And I certainly I brought up more things than I had previously thought about. This was certain things did, but now uh, I just, uh, you know, it's like, you know, not Mormonism, you bear your testimony, you know, but usually we're bearing testimony to the I knows that are, you know, qualities. I know Jesus is the Christ. I know God lives. I know Joseph Business Prophet, Book of Mormon. You know, it's all those kinds of things. But, you know, I hope everyone who's listening got a sense that the three of us are testifying that this has happened to us, in us, through us, you know, that, that we have literally dropped, you know, whatever. To me, it always feels like the, 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 the floor drops out. It's not like the, the ceiling opens. Away. Yeah. yeah, it's not like the ceiling opens up because that gets all, you know, gaudy. Yeah. You know, not, I mean, I didn't mean like G-A- yeah. G-A-W-D-Y, but, but God, you know, it's yeah. like two, uh, but to me, it's just like the floor of my, of my little thought box or whatever, just kind of, woof, it goes away. So uh, I just want to close my testimony with that, the testimony of sorts that this is, these are the most profound things and a grounding in them will not let you go into bad theology and get stuck and it'll help you make your way through the culture. You know, you'll, you'll love everybody a lot more, you know, and they won't bother you as much with their, their things. And like, this guy is always talking and this person (laughs) makes me mad. She's crazy. You know, you know, she's going to get up there and bear her testimony and it's just going to be weird. You know, we have all these different things, but when you're at, whenever you have like, got that connection to where like i said the the ground it's like a backlighting mm-hmm. to life you know the witnessing awareness they talk about in buddhism and things like that this uh, song that's always in the background um you know of life it, all that stuff on the foreground um goes away and 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 and, and it, I mean, it's, 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 it becomes like very minor irritations Right, and you can start to see the heart and the struggle and all the reasons that that person is, you know, yeah, doing it. So excellent, excellent. thank you, Dan. Uh, Abby, any uh, Abby, any final thoughts oh, on your I end? think that perfectly kind of encapsulated everything that we've been talking about, and and really gets at the heart of what we're trying to do or trying to say with this. You know, that that it should be at the forefront as opposed to, like you said, you know, those those irritations or the things that kind of plague us on our, on the day to day. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I thought it'd be, it'd be nice to kind of end, um, end the, end the conversation with a, uh, a snippet from Annie Dillard's The Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Um, so I uh, thought I'd just read this quote, um, from, I think it's from the chapter called seeing, I uh, could be wrong on, on the chapter. Um, she says, One day I was walking along Tinker Creek and thinking of nothing at all, and I saw the tree with the lights in it. 
I saw the backyard cedar where the morning doves roost, charged and transfigured, each cell buzzing with flame. I stood, I stood on the grass with the lights in it, grass that was holy fire, utterly focused and utterly dreamed. It was less like seeing than like being for the first time. Knocked breathless by a powerful glance, the flood of fire abated, but I'm still spending the power. Gradually, the lights went out in the cedar, the colors died, the cells unflamed and disappeared. I was still ringing. I had been my whole life like a bell and never knew it until that moment I was lifted and struck. I have since only very rarely seen the tree with the lights in it. The vision comes and goes, mostly goes, but I live for it. For the moment, the mountains open and the new light roars in spate through the crack and the mountains slam. Amazing. And that's a good ending, but for the first time in my life, I also, because of talking about the tree, the burning bush and Moses, you know, he felt oh, called, yeah. he felt call, called to go to the mountains, which is usually the sacred, you know, where the axis mundi, the, you know, meeting of heaven and earth are, he sees a bush. And then what does God say? I am that I am, I am being itself. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, just all those fell together through that Annie Dillard thing for me. Yeah. The bush with so, the lights in it. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, Dan, huge thank you for being on and having oh, this conversation man, with us. It. This was uh, a fantastic conversation. I was really stoked to have it. <laughs> well, good. Thanks so much. And I'm glad that you've been enjoying uh, the work I'm putting out there. You know, well, we each have our own calling, you know, this little, what our personalities are and yeah. things. And, and we're given our gifts in the way that we're called to. And I, I appreciate the work you do with Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance yeah. and, and Abigail, all the things that you're doing in this space of environmental you know, humanities and uh, these sensibilities, we, we can bring them into, we can bring them into the forefront and in conversation so much more than we have. So I'm grateful. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Bristlecone Firesides. If you liked this conversation, please subscribe and share widely with your friends, family, and neighbors. Consider leaving us a rating through the podcasting app of your choice. For more from Madison, Abby, and the Bristlecone family, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and visit our website to enjoy more earthy content on faith, activism, and belonging to the earth. From the Aspen Mountains, Juniper Forests, Red Rock Deserts, and Salty Lakes of Utah, we wish you peace and goodness as you strive to find yourself in the family of the earth. 